Hasn't the Lord just blessed us with some great weather? Man, I heard this morning, if, it, if this is global warming, we like it, don't we? At least Indiana does. I don't know about everybody else, but we like this. <laughs> but great to see everybody out this morning. And if you would, let's, uh, we're going to have a, a moment of silent prayer to prepare our hearts and minds for the Word of God. And then I'll close us out and we'll begin in Matthew chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a beautiful day and a time to be in your house this morning. And Father, we've praised you in song and in spirit. Now we're going to prepare to open up your holy and divine word, which lives and abides forever. And Father, you gave this word to us for a reason. And you knew whenever you penned it through your Holy Spirit to the men that you moved, that we would study it here this morning and it had special meaning for everyone and there's a reason why we're here and studying it. We pray that you open our eyes, Father, to see what that is and our ears to hear your word as you meant it to be heard. And we pray that it will move upon our minds and our lives and that we will learn that you really did want each and every one of us to be salt and light in this earth for you. And Father, we praise you for the things that you're about ready to challenge us with. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to introduce the Sermon on the Mount today in our ongoing Jesus story that we started. Now I'm going to tell you as you're turning there of a dream that I've had for about 30 years. I've not seen the dream accomplished yet, I guess because I haven't put a lot of effort into it, but here recently it's kind of came back into my mind. You know, when I first started teaching the Word a long time ago, I always thought it would be cool once I had read the Sermon on the Mount. I thought, how cool would it be to take and go to the Martinsville City Park Hill and set up a speaker system? And have a revival there of the sermons on the mount. And what if it could be centered around the 4th of July. So that it would end on that day when everybody's going to be there. And they're going to be celebrating. But to also give them the word of God. And the sermon on the mount. So one day maybe we'll be able to do that. And maybe all of this community. And all of this county will be there to hear the truth taught and as jesus recorded us for us here in matthew 5 as he prepared we've saw in in chapter 4 how that he had just chosen six of his disciples and how that he had been out teaching and he was walking and he was casting out demons and he was healing diseases and he was doing many things and the fame of him started spreading throughout the region and folks were flocking to him to see these things because nothing like this had happened before and so they wanted to see this one called Jesus who is beginning to do this ministry. And now we get to chapter 5. And it says that 
the great multitudes was following him from all over, from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and even beyond the Jordan. And then we get to f chapter 5, and he's going to climb up on a hill and begin teaching. So if you're there, let's start in verse 1 as we read. That when Jesus saw the crowds, and he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath the foot. You are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it underneath of a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone that is in the house. In the same way, then, let our light shine to everyone, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus saw the large crowds that was following him, and so he decided that this is a good moment to teach. This is a teaching time, and he climbed up the side of a hill so that he could look down and that the word would then flow down to them. And it says in verse 1 and 2 that he was speaking this to his disciples, to the ones that he was choosing, to the ones who was going to follow him. But he knew that the message would then spill out to all of those who were crowding around to hear it. And not only that, that it would be pinned one day so that you and I would be here studying it as well. Most of those who are scholars thinks that this is probably one of the most complete, beautiful sermons that was ever given in these next three chapters. And as we prepare to study it, I want you to know that Jesus is in the business of providing happiness. That's what he's here for. That's what he died for and came to this earth is to provide happiness and a way of life and also an eternity for us. He wants us to have it like we've never imagined, but the sad part is, is that most people will never enjoy it. Most people will never come to that realization or they won't ever come to Christ. And a lot of us who have come to Christ, a lot of times the way life is going, we think that 
happiness wasn't meant for us either, don't we? Sometimes things are tough. It's tough sledding. But Jesus came to provide happiness. And this first sermon that's recorded in chapter 5 begins with nine of these blesseds, these happiness themes. The word, therefore, <clears throat> blessed or happiness is makarios. And makarios is used nine times, and it doesn't just mean a blessedness or a happy is the one, but the meaning that was behind this word that these people that he was teaching, what they knew it to mean is to be above anything that the world has to throw at you. The actual meaning of it was applied in the philosophers like Homer and Hesiod of the day who was very popular and all of the people knew about. And this word was associated with their gods, the ones of the small g. All of those gods that they talked about in their Greek culture, that they had risen above the things of this earth. That what happens to mankind, the sickness, the disease, the troubles, the death, the things that trap us, they are above it because they are God's. And therefore, they have a type of blessedness because it doesn't affect them. Jesus is using this word in relationship to you and I. He is going to give us some examples and some ways that we are not going to be affected. Actually, the word also means to be envied. And you say, as I look through the context, how are we to be envied because we are poor in spirit and because we are mourning and because we are persecuted? But he's going to explain that a little bit. That we are to be envied by those of the world because we, he takes that word that applied to those gods and he says, you are to be envied. You are to rise above. How do we begin to do that? And he starts going through that and he says, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and taught means doctrine. <clears throat> He's going to speak them to them the things that will elevate you provide a new place of character in your life that elevates you from being influenced and affected by the things of this world and the things of this life. And I want that, don't you? I want it that the things that I go through doesn't affect me and doesn't bring me down and doesn't hurt. And in, I, in anticipation of this rising above, I start to continue to read and to be honest, the list that Jesus gives me doesn't match my list. Because if you think, okay, how do I get happy and elevated and the things of this life does not bother me? And people, when you would survey on the street, would say, well, if my bank account never dips below seven digits, I think I'd be happy. If my 15-car garage was filled with four-wheelers, with monster trucks, and race cars, and maybe a couple of luxury cars as well for Saturday night, I would be happy. And you know what? That's just two blesseds. I've got seven more to go because Jesus gave nine. So I would be on a roll with what would I would perceive to me in a worldly way to rise above all of that stuff. But then I looked at Jesus' list, and it does not match mine. And I don't know if you've ever watched 
ESPN on Monday night before the Monday night football game, and they have all those guys talking. They do a segment that's called, Come on, man. And they'll be sitting there, and they'll show the bloopers or the plays that happened on Sunday, and they'll be teasing the guys, and they'll show it over and over, and they'll go, Come on, man. You got to make that play. And when I start reading Jesus' list of blessed, I'm like, Come on, man. That's not what I expected. Are you telling me that I've got to be poor in spirit and mourning? Jesus says, yeah, because I'm going to tell you that the tree of happiness, the tree of life, doesn't grow on this earth anymore. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, listen to this with me. The angel showed me a river that had the water of life, and it flowed as clear as crystal from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb. And on each side of that river stood the tree of life in the middle of that great city, and it bore 12 crops, one every month, and the leaves of that tree was for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse around. Because the throne of God and the Lamb will be in that city and his servants will not only serve him, but they will see him face to face. And there will be no more night and not even a need for a light or a lamp because it will be lit up by him. He will be the light of that place and they will reign with him forever. So Jesus begins to tell us that if you want real happiness... If you want to be elevated above, the first thing is that you're not going to find it here. It's up there in our eternal home. This place is full of the curse from the fall of man. And it will be in death and destruction and disease and unhappiness is going to be here. So how do I get over that? First of all, he says, you will do that by becoming poor in spirit blessed is the person who is poor in spirit and that word for poor isn't the normal word that's used for poor this is a word that goes a lot deeper it explains a person who's not just poor but they have absolutely nothing and they have no hope of ever having something they have come to a point that they realize that they are completely bankrupt and there's no way out and so this is the type of beggar then who was known to hide in a corner in the dark with a hat or a handout but couldn't even find the confidence to face the people that he was asking for help from. That's the word that's used here. Completely, spiritually destitute with no hope. And he says this is the beginning of blessedness. This is the beginning of happiness because until you realize that you are spiritually destitute and that you need the blood of Christ, then whatever you have in this life, it will never make you happy. That cup is going to have a hole in the bottom of it and you're always going to have nothing. But when you start to become spiritually destitute and you know that you need something and you can't make it on your own, now you're starting on the road to happiness. And that leads to those who mourn. Because once you realize that you've been spiritually destitute and you have no hope, 
then you go to God in that form like that man who can't even face because he knows that he's spiritually troubled and you say, I need help. Then when you begin to mourn, to mourn means to grieve in a way that is seen outwardly over the loss of a relationship. And that's what's happened. Once you become spiritually bankrupt, then you realize I've lost a relationship with God and I begin to mourn over that and God begins then to provide the way and these things lead to what is a true happiness that elevates us out of this life because then we begin to see that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My real home is up there and the 10 to 100 years of life I might have here is nowhere compared to what an eternity is. Told this to, it was hard Tuesday night. I, I taught this lesson to the homeless shelter in Bloomington at Backstreet Mission. And I hadn't even planned on this. This isn't in, in the notes, Lisa, if you're following, and Tanya. This isn't in the notes. You know how hard it is to look 40 men who are homeless in the eye and talk to them about happiness? And about having something? It was hard. I didn't think it come off well. But one guy come up afterwards and said, I've been here five months and this is the first thing that's given me hope. Because when you finally get to the point that I'm on my knees and I need God and nothing else in life can bring me out of the state that I'm in, then you start to find a happiness because you begin to realize I am now unaffected by the things of this world. The things of this world no longer affect me because I realize that I have an eternal home. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. And that doesn't mean that I'm there yet. <laughs> I'm a long way from there because things do affect me. And things can spin me out of control very easily and I have to get grounded again and rooted. Verse 12 says, and I'm on page 5 for those who are following along, says that I should rejoice in all of this kind of stuff when I'm persecuted, when I'm evil spoken of, when things don't go my way. It says I'm supposed to rejoice in these type of things. And again, I say, come on, man. That's tough. I can't do that. He says, yes, because you've got to be constantly reminded that my happiness is not found here, that my happiness is going to be found somewhere else. Rejoice. Life is tough, and I'm not going to be all smiles and rainbows all of the time. But Jesus says, I need you to do that because he's going to go on and tell us that we need to be salt and light for him. He says, once you've been baptized into Christ and you've received that forgiveness, you have now mended that relationship that was severed. And now you have that, and you have a reason to rejoice and to be happy. That describes us. And look at verse 14. If you are in Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 13 and 14. You, that is all of us. The disciples is who he was talking to, remember? We are the followers of Christ. You are the salt of the earth. And if you lose your saltiness, if you, if you display the same type of things that this world does in allowing the things to cause you problems and to reflect on you outwardly, you are no longer salt and light. Rise above that. Learn 
to be salt and light and to continue to pour that out. Jesus says this earth is cursed. It's bland. You are what flavors the world. Now, Johnny's not here, but I've, I've been in prison not with him, but he's doing the same thing, and he is needing people to help him. I'm going to put a plug in here for him. If you want to learn about prison ministry, go see Johnny. He, he's got some things that he would like for you to do. Now, you won't believe how fast you will grow, but I ate three meals in prison with those men. One meal, they said it was hash, but the guys said that we unloaded the cartons and it says not for human consumption. It was supposed to be dog food. I put salt on it. It didn't help. I asked for more. At five packets of salt on that little thing that was supposed to be hash, I gave up. But it did taste a lot better than the first. But that's what we are to be to a bland, cursed, dying world. To be the salt so that life becomes palatable for it. You are my salt. I can now go around and smile. And when people think that I'm a few bricks shy of load, I can just tell them this world's not my home. I'm unaffected by this stuff. And I hope I can grow to that kind of maturity. We are the light of the world. Verse 14. We were created anew to shine, folks. We were created to shine for him. Both times says Jesus that you are these things. He, I say he can't really be talking to me, can he? I mean, if he really knows who I am and my past, he's not talking to me because I'm not a 100-watt light bulb shining light. I'm more like a black light bulb. Yeah, I had one of those in high school for about four years and walls full of posters. So I know what I'm talking about with the black light type of effect. And you say, that's who, if he knew that was me, he don't want that. If you knew who I was, people don't want my salt to rub off on them because what does salt do? It goes in with something that is bland and loses itself into it so that it is transformed also into something. And people, Lord, if you know me, they don't want my salt on them. Yeah, they do. And you know how I know that? Because we're going to look at some examples of the people that Jesus was talking to. And then you and I will know by the time we're done that, yes, he means you and I are the salt of this earth and the light of this world. Verse 15 of Matthew 15. Ten chapters to the right. Of where we are right now. Jesus told the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. A hard truth. That was very uncomfortable for them. The disciples. They always walked a tight line. Because those were the rulers of the people. And they came to him and said. You offended them. And what you said. You know what Jesus said. Yeah I offended them. And I meant to. Because they're the blind leaders of the blind and everyone's going to fall in the pit if they continue to listen to them. So I have to offend people and I have to shake things up so that they know what's going on. And in verse 15, Peter says, explain that parable to us then that you just told. And in the original language, you know what it says there? Duh, I don't understand, Lord. And he says, how dull are you in verse 16? 
Are you still that dull? Are you still yet without understanding? I mean, this is 10 chapters to the right from when he said, you are the salt and the light of this world. You can't process anything, Peter. You're a knucklehead. You're dull. You're the dullest crayon in the box. You need to get sharpened a little bit. So then we move on in Mark chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples are walking through Galilee. He doesn't want anyone to know that they're there. He's trying to teach them in quietness. And he's going to tell them, I'm going to be delivered up into the hands of men. And that they're going to kill me after three days, but I will rise again. And in Mark 9 and verse 32, you know what it says? It says that all of them didn't understand this time. But they were afraid to ask him about it. Wow, they still don't understand. And now they're afraid to ask. Why? Because he told Peter, how dull are you? So if I ask, he's probably going to get on to me as well. They're not picking up the learning curve here. But guess what? They are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They didn't understand. And then verse 33, they got to Capernaum, back to his home base, and it says he was in the house. So that seems to be a popular theme of Mark. Jesus was in the house again. And then he asked him a question in verse 34. He said, what were you guys arguing about? on the road while I was teaching and instructing you that I'm going to die. And it says that they held their peace and they kept quiet because on the road they argued about who was going to be the greatest among them. Ouch. They just got busted. He's talking from the heart and needing to confide that I'm getting prepared to be handed over to men And these bozos are still arguing about who's going to be the greatest. That they're salt and light. Now in Luke chapter 8. Here we get another glimpse of the type of people that are salt and light. In verses 1 and 2. After this, Jesus traveled from one town to another. And he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And there were 12 that were with him. Verse 2, there was also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. If I make it through this one, we'll be doing good. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons cast out of her. Every time you talk about her, that seems to be what they want to bring up. She had a past, didn't she? How about you and I? You bring a past with you? You think that that past is going to keep you from being salt and light? That's why this example's here. And that's why years after the demons were brought out of her, Luke is still writing, Mary out of whom seven demons was cast. Because she is an example of somebody with a past that Jesus loved and that he said, you are salt and light. And when I get to John chapter 20, and Jesus is being crucified, who's the first person on that Sabbath morning at the tomb? Mary called Magdalene, out of whom seven demons were cast. 
she tells some others, and Peter and John run there, and then everything's going on. She's still hanging around after they've left back again. And down around verse 11, angels come to her and say, Why are you crying? And she said, Because they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And then it says that there was a voice that came behind her, and through her tears, she couldn't recognize who it was, and she suspicioned him to be the gardener. And he said, Woman, why are you crying? And she saw him and thought it was the gardener and said, If you have taken my Lord, just tell me where he is, and I will go get him. And he said, Mary. And immediately she knew that it was Jesus. Who was the first person that he revealed himself to on his resurrection? It was Mary called Magdalene, out of whom seven demons were cast, and she had a past about her, but yet she was salt and light. She was the first one that he revealed himself to. So I have no excuse. Well, I've got a couple more examples. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 49, it says that these disciples came to him and said, there was somebody that was casting out demons and he's not one of us so we told him to stop in other words he's not on our team how many times out here in the world do you sit and hear of people that they're not exactly like us so they're not of God can't have any association with those type he said are they against us they said well no they weren't against us he said, well, then they're forced. You shouldn't have told them that. Let them go. They're trying to, trying to do their work too. You pay attention to yourself and you do what's right and you let them try to do what they're supposed to do. Then we come to this same chapter down in verse 54. There's a Samaritan village. Jesus is now moving his way to the cross. And as he goes through this one village, the people said, you are Jews, and you're going to Jerusalem. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And so they couldn't stay there. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who Jesus in Mark chapter 3 had nicknamed Boanerges, or the sons of thunder, because of their temper and their anger. These guys said, Lord... They refused us to go there. Do you want us to bring fire down from heaven and just roast them all? Can't you just imagine Jesus thinking about, man, you knuckleheads. You're still not up on the learning curve here. Making crispy critters out of Samaritans is not going to help the cause that we're trying to promote. So he has to rebuke them and tell them, no, you still don't get it. But you know what? These were his salt and light and now one last example of acts chapter 4 that is behind us there from verse 13 as uh, rick and the band makes their way back up on stage we find a few years later in the book of acts as he writes it jesus is gone but the reputation of the disciples is still out there for all to see it says there that they were unlearned, ordinary men.
Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest and the former high priest. And if you'll remember, those were the names that was Jesus was taken before at first. And they condemned him and falsely accused him and sentenced him to die. These two same men now in Acts chapter 4 have seen the disciples doing some things. And now it says... When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. Unlearned, ordinary, knuckleheads, still slow to get it, still probably wanting to rain fire down upon people, still have a past that tags along with them, but they're salt and light. You are my witnesses. You are the people to bring salt and light to a dying world. And the only way that you can do it is to rise above what happens in this world and not let the things of this world affect you and to provide the bad witness because your home is not here. Your home is there. And because of that, you're unaffected anymore. You're makarios. You are blessed. You are to be envied. And whatever happiness the world is enjoying, let them have it. Because they're not going to have an eternity of happiness like you are. So don't be envious of them. They really should be envious of who you are. And it's not my light, because it's still probably a little bit of a black light. But it's the light of Christ that shines through me. That's the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And when he rubs off on you, then you rub off on them. And that's how it's supposed to go when we rise above it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I hope that we've been challenged by it. That I am no different from your disciples and from Mary and from all of that you've used as examples that followed you and you continually told them, you are my ambassadors for Christ. You are my salt and light. You are what flavors the world. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who now has come to a point in life that they have not followed you, but they realize that they are poor in spirit and in mourning about a loss of relationship with you, we pray that they would have the courage, that you would provide them the courage to come forward this morning to make that known and that they can be baptized into Christ to have that relationship with you. And for all of us who have done that and have a relationship with you, but we just need an extra prayer of strength to be that salt and light, let that be known as well so that we can be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
you see him? My only peace is you, Jesus. 